0: Well, if you would tonight, I want to continue in our study of the Gospel of John. And we will pick up where we left off this morning. We will look at John chapter 1 and verses 9 through 13. John chapter 1 and verses 9 through 13. And I think it will help us to get the flow and the context if I just start in verse 1 and read the first 13 verses. If someone were to ask you what was the greatest moment in the history of the world, what would you say? Now, there are those who would say that the creation of fire or the invention of the wheel was the greatest moment in history. Or some secular historians would say the flourishing of Greek intellectual culture in the 5th century B.C., was the greatest moment in world history. Some would say it was the glorious imposition of world law upon the whole world by the Roman Empire. In more modern times, people might say it was the discovery of atomic energy or the placing of a man on the moon. And all of those certainly were significant moments in the history of mankind. But the correct answer for a Christian is always the same. The correct answer for a Christian is the greatest moment in the history of the world was the coming into human history of the Lord God Almighty in the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest moment in all of history was that God came into our world in the person of Christ and Jesus Christ is the true light. It says in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light, Jesus is called. Now, true here does not necessarily just mean In comparison with false. He's true in comparison with that which is false. It does mean that. But it means, its primary meaning is this. He is the true light, not a partial light. He is the true light, not a partial light. In a sense, we could say there are partial lights in humanity. We gain insights through science. We gain insights through human education, human law. Things that we didn't know before. As we study and we learn, there are things that, insights that we gain. But those are all limited. There is only one true light, and that is Jesus himself. In a court of law, we say, we want you to tell the whole truth. We want you to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We want the truth, and Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the only one who reveals to us everything that is true. The truth about God, the truth about our world, the truth about our own human souls, about who we are in this world. He is the true light. In fact, as I put this together, I grappled with how do you possibly explain to people what the true light is. We will go on in the gospel of John and Jesus will say, I am the light of the world. He will say, I am the bread of life. He will say, I am the door. He will say, I am the resurrection and the life. All those things, all those things are part of. What it means to say that he is the true light. All other light, whatever light it may be, are dim and shadowy in comparison with the true light. And John tells us that the true light came into our world and gives light to everyone. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's a great missionary verse. It really is. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus came to shine his light. Not just on the Jews. Not just on us, but on all people everywhere in every nation and every people group. The light came to shine. And if we see this in the context of the great verses of the Old Testament, which tell us the story of the Bible, we see that this makes perfect sense. That when the true light came into the world, he came to give light to everyone, and he still is. is giving light to every corner of the earth, even in the remotest tribes and areas of the whole world world. And what does it mean that he is the true light? It means at least three things. First, it shows the majestic beauty of God in the person of Christ. There is no being, no existence more beautiful, more majestic, more transcendent, more glorious than the person of Jesus Christ. He is the great light. He is the revealer of all that is true. We see Jesus as the true tre- treasure and joy of all of existence because he is the true light which gives light to everyone and came into our world. Secondly, even as I mentioned this morning, the light exposes, reveals the depth of our own sin. It is only in the light of Christ That we see who we really are. We only see the depth. It is only through Him that we see the depth of our own depravity, of our own sin. And thirdly, not only does it show us the majestic beauty of God in Christ and the depth of our own sin, but it shows us or confronts us with the glorious truth of the gospel. We need the light. And the only way we can come into the light is through repentance and faith repenting of our sin and placing our faith in what the light has done for us in his death and in his resurrection. We need that gospel because apart from that gospel, we have no light. And so the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, John says. Well, our second point tonight is two opposite reactions. It is really interesting. Verse eleven, then verses twelve and thirteen, two completely opposite reactions to the true light. First, the creator of the universe was in the world, but the world did not recognize him or know him. In verse ten it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet The world did not know him. Try to think of what this is saying. God was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. James Montgomery Boyce tells the story of the medieval king who had reigned over a great empire, and it was through the reign of this king that the empire grew, and he was a good king. And he enacted moral laws, and the people loved the king. And he had built this great empire, but the king went off to war, and he was gone for many years. And while he was gone, his kingdom became corrupt, more and more corrupt. And then years later, he returned to his kingdom, and he got on his horse, and he rode throughout the kingdom, And no one recognized him. No one even knew who he was. Though he had built the kingdom, though he had enacted its great moral laws, they now did not recognize him and they did not know him. So God comes into the world and yet the world did not know him. Why didn't the world recognize Christ when he came? the incarnate Son of God, God in the flesh, when he came, why didn't the world recognize him? Let me give you three reasons. I'm sure there are more, but let me give you at least three. First, first, the world does not want him. You know well tonight that if somebody doesn't want to believe something, they won't believe it. The world did not want him. In John chapter 3, and verse 19, it says this, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Boy, talk about a verse that's as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago when it was written. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness Boy, is that not our own world today? The people love the darkness rather than the light. So first of all, the world does not want him. So it does not recognize him. Second, and perhaps most importantly, the world is spiritually blind. The Bible tells us very clearly, and it is so important as we witness, because we need the work of the Holy Spirit or our witness is completely ineffective. The world is spiritually blind, and we need to remind ourselves of that over and over again. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I need to know that as I deal with people. And I've shared this with you many times before. When you share spiritual things with people and they say, I don't... Get it, and you're wondering, I, "I don't understand why they don't get it, and they don't get it because they don't get it. They literally don't get it, because they are spiritually blinded. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. First Corinthians 2:14, a verse we've gone over many times together. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The things of the Holy Spirit, the things of the Spirit of God are folly. They are foolishness, the NIV says to the people of this world And they are not able, please understand that they are not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the world does not want him. The world is spiritually blind, which leads to the third reason they did not recognize him. And that is because salvation can only come by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It can. Oh, folks, again and again and again, prayer is the foundation of all evangelism. And evangelism without prayer is ineffective. It will fall on deaf ears because unless the Holy Spirit convicts, unless the Holy Spirit opens blinded eyes, they not only will not see, they cannot see. Oh, for that person that you want to share the gospel with, pray for them and pray for them and pray for them or your words will mean nothing to them. The world does not want Christ. The world is spiritually blinded, which reminds us that salvation can only come by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. The only reason you're here tonight, the only reason you're here tonight is because you had a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in your life. In verse 11, takes it to the next level. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And then we go to another level. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus came to his own people, the Jewish people, and they rejected him. God created the Jewish people. He created their nation. He set his love and affection upon them. He took them from all the peoples of the world and made them his own. And yet, they rejected him. Now, this is not the first time God's people rejected God's messenger. We see this throughout the Old Testament. We see the great prophets of the Old Testament coming to the people of God. And sometimes they respond in repentance and faith, but other times they reject the messenger. We think of the great parable of the vineyard in Matthew chapter 21, where the landowner had a vineyard, and he had a wine press, and he rented it out to tenants, and they were to produce the wine. And so he left, the landowner leaves, and he sends back representatives, messengers, to get that which is rightfully his. And as the messengers come, the Bible says, they beat one, they killed one, they stoned another. And so the landowner says, I will send my son, surely they will respect my son. And when the son is sent, they reject him as well. And the Jews recognized that Jesus was talking about them. And they were greatly offended. And we think of the Jewish people. And we praise God for the prophecies of Romans and, and the book of Revelation. We know there will be a harvest yet to come among the Jewish people, but yet they have rejected him as a whole. They had the prophecies. Oh, the Jewish people have had Psalm 22. They have had Psalm 53. They have had the great prophecies of the Old Testament. They saw the miracles of Jesus. We read about them and accept them by faith, but they saw them. They saw the actual miracles of Jesus. And not only that, but as I shared with you this morning, they had something else. They had John the Baptist, one of their own. One of the greatest witnesses in the history of the world. The great prophet of God. They had John who came to pave the way for them, who preached to them, who laid the groundwork for the coming of the Messiah. And still, and still it says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. I loved what one writer, he said, before we are critical of the Jewish people, remember this is simply a picture of what all mankind has done to Christ. Yes, the Jews have rejected him, but as a whole, so has the majority of all mankind. We are all guilty. We are all guilty. What a verse, verse 10. He was in the world. And if you think of it, and that's why context is so important, He was the Logos. He was God. He was in the beginning. Everything was made through him. He was life and the light of men. And yet, he was the true light. And yet, he was in the world. And the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. So that's one reaction. But praise God, there is another there is another glorious and wonderful reaction and one that we need to pay close attention to. Verses 12 and 13 give us a wonderful contrast to the previous two verses and an important insight into genuine salvation. Oh, these are verses that we need to read and study over and over again. Verse 12 is a verse that I have used as much as any verse in, the, in all the Bible In funeral services. It is, verse 12. As much as I've used any verse in the Bible, I have used verse 12. But to all, notice that transition, but. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who did receive the true light. To all who did recognize that God had come into the world, who believed in his name, his name represents the entirety of his person and work. All that he is, all that he means, he gave the right, and the right is so important here. It's the authority, it's heavenly authority. He gave heavenly authority to become children of God. To all who receive him, Who believe in his name. To all who will repent of their sin and by faith alone believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only means of their salvation. To those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave heavenly authority to become children of God. I want you to see this tonight. John gives us the gospel way before he ever gets to the crucifixion and the resurrection. Here's the gospel. To all who receive him. To those who believe in his name. That's what we proclaim. That's what we say. He gives you the right to become sons and daughters of God. But it reminds us, doesn't it? Even as I mentioned this morning, not everyone is a child of God. God is not the Father of everyone, as some teach. To all who received Him, to all who still receive Him, who believe that He is the Messiah who came into the world and accomplished our salvation through His death and glorious resurrection. To those, you are given the right to become a child of God. But then, he clarifies even more what he has just said. Verse 13 is a very important verse. So relevant to every generation. To all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God Notice verse 13. Who were born, who were born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You must be born of God to be a child of God. You must have a supernatural rebirth in order to be a child of God. Let's look at this carefully. Who were born, not of blood. We don't use this a lot in our American culture. They use it much more, for example, in Great Britain. But are you of the right bloodline? Or are you of royal blood or of noble blood? You are born into certain privileges and certain honors. And yet, we know of that too. Were you born into a certain? Were you born into a rich family? Were you born into a poor family? But know this tonight, and I think this is more important than we realize. You are never born into the right family that makes you a Christian. You aren't a Christian because of who your parents are. You aren't a Christian because of who your grandparents are. I really loved what one writer said. He said, I don't care if you're the son or daughter of Martin Luther or of John Calvin or of Jonathan Edwards. Or of Billy Graham. Or of John Wesley. He said, I don't care. That doesn't make you a Christian. I don't care who your parents are. And we need to know that. Because it is so easy and so subtle for children born into strong Christian families to kind of ride on the coattails or on the faith of their parents. And often when we do... Baptism, membership services we will have young uh, adult young men and women stand up and say I used to rely on my parents faith and then I made it my own you ever heard that testimony I came to a point in my life where I realized I had to make it my own some never get to that point doesn't matter what your last name is you aren't born Humanly into a family that makes you a Christian. So born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. This is interesting. The flesh here refers to the desires of the flesh, the emotions of the flesh. Sometimes people think because they have an emotional experience that that makes them right with God. And this can be a very tricky thing with people. As you listen to their testimony. Sometimes they see a picture of Jesus and it gets them really emotional. Or they see a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset. Or they come to a church service and really get caught up in the music. And they have this kind of epiphany, this emotional experience. I feel close to God. I feel Him. Folks, that's not salvation. That is not salvation. Until a person consciously understands that they are sinful and in need of a Savior... And they make a conscious, deliberate decision to repent of their sin and to invite Christ into their life to be their Savior. Until that happens, they are not born again. I don't care how many times they've cried. I don't care how many emotional experiences they've had. This can be a sensitive, delicate thing. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. And then the big one nor of the will of man. This is the one that we probably hone in on the most. The will of man means the determination of man. It is man, man or woman obviously, who thinks that they can be right with God by determining to do certain things. I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to try to do as much good as I possibly can. I'm going to be as religious as I possibly can. And we know. We know well no one. No one gets to heaven by the works of the law, by the works of the flesh. Who were born. Not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man, but of God. But of God. You must be born again. We will see this so clearly, so vividly when we get to John chapter 3. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He can't. And Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a man so well-versed in the law, was confused. How can man be born a second time? How can someone who's already be born be born again? It is at the very heart of what John is saying in this gospel. Hmm. I want you to see in this passage, this is the last 2,000 years of church history. Verses 9 through 13. It is. The great light came into the world. The true light. And some rejected him. And some received him. And so it is, even today, in St. John's and to the very ends of the earth. The great light has come. And some reject. And some receive. But as we close tonight, I want you to think about this. Two things in closing. One, we must be faithful to proclaim the light. We must. Even as I shared with you on Wednesday night at our annual business meeting, we must be faithful to sow the seed. We must be faithful to present the light because He is the only means of salvation. We must. We must be faithful because we are, like John, the messengers of God, and through our message, People believe. And secondly, let us not compromise the message. Let us not compromise the true light. People cannot, they cannot be converted through blood birth, through the will of the flesh, through the will of man. Always compromises to the gospel. Oh, let us say clearly and with love, but uncompromisingly that they must be born again. They must be born of the Spirit of God. They must receive the true light as their salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the true light has come into the world. Help us to be faithful in presenting you to the world. Make us ever mindful, some will not receive it, but some will. Help us to be faithful messengers, explaining the light of the gospel in all of its beauty, and all of its fullness, without ever compromising. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.